I tell you what, Sammy, the weekend fucking, del- I mean, the midweek delivered, brother. It did, didn't it? Five amazing games. I mean, I, pretty simple. We're just going to go in order because it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun to watch. I was very happy with it. You know, the only thing we were missing, because we almost had a fist fight between Dyche and Klopp, the only thing we were missing was Ashley Barnes kissing Klopp on the nose. Let's start the show. Born in the land of Bowie, Maryland. Bred to be a fan of fucking Everton. Punch you in the eye and drink your rye. Sam Houston. Sam Houston? Arsenal fans have another Sam. Right AA, the fucking Gooner Graham. Stuff of a lord. Looks great in shorts. Sam Bramby. Sam Graham. Hello and welcome to the Drunkard United Football Show, a completely biased recap of the English Premier League is told by two common American schmucks. I am your host, Sam Houston, and across the internets from me is one Mr. Samuel Graham. Sammy, how you doing, brother? I just got sent to me another one of the Bernie memes. Oh, yeah? What's this one? Uh, this one came from Carly's cousin, and um, it's a bunch of people. Uh, definitely looks like a bar mitzvah uh, or a Jewish wedding because he's just in the chair, and all their hands are up, and they're holding him up. Fabulous. <laughs> Fabulous. I love it. Hey, just remember, Bielsa's little stool is socialism. That's all there is to it. We're recording at Studio H just outside the nation's capital. Well, technically, producer Mel is recording at Studio H. Yeah. I'm in lovely Richmond, Virginia, and Sam is up in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, you can check What's us out on, on all podcast platforms. Be sure to rate, subscribe, review, and share with your footballing friends. Should you want to chat with us, there is many ways that you can. And Sammy, tell the good people how they can get in touch. Absolutely. You can find us on all the social medias at DU Football Show and then DU Football Show at gmail.com to get in touch via email. Fantastic. I love it. You know yes, what uh, so. just occurred to me? What just occurred to we you? We got Baltimore, Annapolis, Richmond. It's the bar show. Oh, that's. And uh, it's. There it, is. <laughs> and, and you know what? I may, I may be about three hours away. Yeah. I can still tell you to hit the fucking mute button. Gotcha. Sam and myself both work in the wine and spirit industry and both have a deep, passionate love for all things distilled spirits. So as the red-blooded Americans we are, we vow to have a drink in our hand throughout this show and every single show. Mr. Graham, what are we drinking tonight? So last week, we or well, Monday, not last week, we did the number 20 whiskey on Whiskey Advocates Top 20 uh, for 2020. Now we're doing the 19, uh, number 19. This is the EY. Most uh, EY, I'm sorry. Uh, number 45. This is a new higher proof EY, uh, and it was designed for cocktails. However, it's supple and more than capable as a neat sipper with pleasing aromas of honey, rippling pear, ripening pear, not rippling. Pears don't ripple. They don't. Ripening pear, barley, exotic woods, and citrus. The palette of honey sweetness, sugar cubes, vanilla pear, apricot, and spice bows out with honey, breakfast cereal, nougat, and white chocolate. It's a delicious and unusual whiskey from Japan, less aligned with the country's Scotch-like tradition of malts and blends 
and more similar to a bourbon being made mostly from corn. Now, we've had an EY on this show before, if I recall, right? Uh, yes. It was just a lower proof than this. Yes. Uh, this one comes in at 90 proof and will run you $34.99 to $39.99 on the shelf. And the Whiskey Advocate panel gave it a 91. Yeah, it is a delightful whiskey. And again, what most people don't realize about Japanese whiskeys is there's a rule book. And that rule book stays as far outside of the country of Japan as humanly possible because they just kind of go berserker with whiskeys and try everything, which is funny when you think of like the strict regimented kind of lifestyle and way that that, that they make things so efficiently and things of that matter. Their whiskeys all over the fucking map and it's kind of fun. Um, so this is the Mars distiller, distillery. They also do um, the Shinshu single malts as well. And the Iowa is their just their kind of line. So they have a black label, which is the one that's predominantly corn aged in ex-American white oak. So it's a very much a Japanese homage to bourbon. <clears throat> and then they have a white label, which is pretty much Japanese uh, homage to Johnny Walker Black. You know, so very straightforward and simple. But what I love is the price points just stupid. Like I said, thirty, it's thirty six bucks. Like yeah. for for a Japanese whiskey. If you've never had Japanese whiskey and you want to get into a Japanese whiskey, the Mars Iowa line is a fantastic start because one, the black label, and then this one, the green label, the the uh, ninety proof, will give you a very much um. Uh, a very familiar friend in a bourbon style. And then even their white label, which runs about 45 on the shelf, it's it's a blended, it's a blended scotch whiskey. That's what it tastes like. So it's not anything that's gonna drive crazy. It's not gonna be too over the top. Like you are gonna know exactly what you're drinking. And it's a great way to kind of walk yourself through the door of Japanese whiskey. Yeah, definitely. Um, and please remember to drink responsibly, everybody. How about that? Well, we'll all cheers ourselves virtually. Cheers. Still sucks. <laughs> um, Three nice two glass bottle coming in for the cheers. There you go. That a girl. <laughs> five, um, five games. All five matches were fucking incredible. I'm just going to go right down in order as the way they were played because it's like, oh, should we? Star City, no. Should we start with United? No. Should we start with Liverpool losing? No. These were all great fucking games. I mean, even even the first one yeah. with West Ham. So we have West Ham winning uh, two to one over West Brom. We have Leicester two, Chelsea nil, Man City two, Villa nil, Man U two, Fulham one, and Burnley one, Liverpool nil. So starting off uh, West Ham and West Brom, it was a great little match. Really was. I I, I think unfortunate for West Brom that they had to play West Ham because that's exactly the kind of team Big Sam does not want to play. Not at this stage, not after his, the first win that he's had as West Ham or as a West Brom boss, I'm sorry. Right. Um, for sure, because West Ham are quite organized. They're going to sit back. They're pretty staunch defensively. I think he would have been more obliged to place um, – someone along the lines of Wolves, like a Leicester or a Villa or something like that, that was going to come out a little bit more and create some space for his pacier players. Uh, but really, both teams went after this game. They just didn't create any clear-cut chances uh, in the opening stages, but they were both really pushing, really going uh, going after it. And a wonderful, wonderful cross from uh, uh, Tufal found the chest uh, kind of shoulder area of Gerard Bowen. 
And um, it was excellent. Uh, excellent little goal. Kind of caught everybody by surprise, of course, and very untraditional. And then turn right back around and Pereira puts a scorcher in the back of the net. Just an absolute yeah, just, scorcher. Absolutely. Just just after uh, just after halftime, Pereira struck. Uh, it was always trailing away from the goalkeeper. Shot from the left side of the goal to the right side uh, as he was looking at it. And Fabianski was kind of central, maybe a little too far pinched to, to his right, Pereira's left. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost struck it, you know, just had that bend on it towards the towards the outside, um, uh, towards the far post that just kept it to taking it away from uh, Fabianski, uh, and and found the corner. It was it was brilliant, and there was a hint of offside there. Obviously, with uh, I can't remember who it was that was standing was in the Gallagher. way, but he got he got out of the way, didn't touch the ball, and had no interference with the goalkeeper. Was not in his sight line. Was there was nothing you could say that said what Gallagher did stopped. Fabianski from doing what he what he did, um, so that was checked by BA, uh, VAR and waved away. Um, now I almost said BAR, Mel. BAR. <laughs> I almost uh, said BAR again. Annapolis, Richmond. Woo woo. Um, you know, Sam. The other interesting thing there too is, you know, l- looking at what's coming up on the schedule for everybody. West Brom's got a huge game the same weekend that uh, Liverpool and Spurs play each other and you guys and Man U play each other. West Brom and Fulham play each other. And that is a absolutely hands down to stay up battle right there. Oh, it's a big six pointer that is. <laughs> and I think West Ham or uh, God, all the West, 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 Brom. West Brom, I'm sorry. It's the third time I've done that now um, are a little bit more poised to play a team that's going to try and come after them. Yeah. Uh, they do have some pace with Gallagher, with Pereira, uh, and even Kieran Gibbs down the, down the left, uh, uh, coming from left back, still has a bit of pace about him. Um, I think they may be able to exploit some of those spaces that Fulham leaves uh, as they try to pile forward because Fulham are the more talented of the two teams, in my opinion. They're the more seasoned of the two teams, in my opinion. I think they're in the more informed team, too. I mean, absolutely they're not getting wins, but they're playing good ball. They're just, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to expect a win against Manchester United, you know? Which uh, we'll uh, yeah, 100%. They, um, but they went toe-to-toe with them, you know, yeah. and, they, and they're confident in what they're doing. I just think if West Brom's going to have a chance, they're not going to be creative enough to break someone down who's sitting back. True. Um, is, gonna, is my West concern. Brom's going to frustrate them, that's for sure. Um, They'll need somebody. I'm talking about West Brom can't play somebody that sits back. They're going to need somebody that's going to come out and attack so they can exploit those spaces, those little pockets that happen behind the fullbacks. And I think Fulham will give them those spaces. It's whether or not they can take advantage of them. We were saying the same thing, just different ways. I was with you in that regards, that Fulham would press the issue, which would give West Brom a little more attack. Um, Absolutely. uh, Big for West Brom is that you get Gallagher back from the red card and John Johnston had tested negative for COVID, so he's good to go and back. He was in the straight net. back in. Yeah, yeah, he was straight back in. That's, so that's, good that's really huge. Absolutely, yeah. um, definite upgrade from Button. Mm-hmm. I just figured what I said on uh, on Monday's show is after the win at the weekend, and of course not knowing whether or not the the test was going to come back uh, uh, for him. I thought maybe they stick with him just because hey, we won. Don't change anything. Right. <laughs> let's right. yeah. You know, let's have a go. We beat a team better than us with this lineup. Let's stick with that and see what some cohesiveness can do. 
So Mikel Antonio scores another great goal. As long as he stays healthy, they're going to be fine. But the problem is, is if he gets hurt, there's fucking nobody. Like, what are you going to do? Put Yarmolenko up top? Like, there's no one. He's got ham. He's got hamstrings made of twigs. Yeah, literal twigs. (laughs) They can snap Um, at any moment. Um, But it was a wonderful goal. Yarmolenko actually got the header back across goal from the mm -hmm. corner, and it was behind Antonio. It was a great little swivel uh, to to get his body all the way around to be able to shoot that ball on target. It came through a, a couple of players' legs. Um, I think Johnston saw it late. Um, he did. But uh, but it was well-placed also. It was, it was towards the corner uh, and uh, and good on him. I mean, he's in, he's in great form right now. But that's not the story. Fuck everything else that you're about to ask me. Some okay. more information. He finally spoke about his crash at Christmas in the it's post-match. Not- oh, Talk about that. I was going to ask about his. I was going to talk about his celebration, why he did his celebration. But please, I'd rather hear about why he crashed the Lamborghini. Well, it wasn't why he caught a little bit of ice. No big deal. It was a normal kind of accident. Um, but somebody asked him, "What well, you know, Mikel? If there's anything you would like to change about that, what would you change?" And he said, yeah, "I wish I probably would have waited to change into my snowman costume when I got where I was going." <laughs> no. But, no, how about it's better that don't you crash the car? It. Well, how about don't crash the car? If you could change anything about that situation, how about not crash into someone's house? Um, <laughs> so, so apparently his um, his celebration where he did the backstroke was mm-hmm. a homage to um, players that he called out directly, like Salah and Fernandez, for diving all the time. <laughs> That's and he was like, yeah, well, and when you dive, what do you do? You swim. So I did a it's like, oh shit! <laughs> Shots fucking fired. <laughs> Bloody um, fucking brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. With 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 him, he's what's great. What I love about him, and uh, uh, it was pointed out by a couple of talk sport pundits uh, that I listened to um, earlier today. He's so, because he was a converted right back to a forward. Right. Mm-hmm. It he's so unorthodox. He makes runs that people don't expect. He works really hard. He's quite quick. He's bigger and stronger than a lot of forwards in the Premier League. You know, there's a lot of twinkle toes forwards or or young forwards like Fabio Silva or um Abamiang mm-hmm. in terms of being kind of twinkle toes. They're they're strong, of course, they're professional athletes, but they're you know, they're not gonna muscle off Johnny Evans. They're not a fucking wall. Cal yeah. Antonio's and, fucking brick wall. Yeah, and he he makes his his football IQ is such that you you can see in his mind he's what would make me uncomfortable as a defender. Yeah, I'm gonna do this. You can see him working it out in his mind as it's happening. It's brilliant. Um, and and that's one thing that I really love about him. And the, and he's got a work ethic like you wouldn't believe. The dude's fantastic, and it also helps. Like you said, he's built like a brick shit house. Unfortunately, though, he goes a hundred miles an hour, which then lends him to get injured. Correct. I mean that there is a downside to that at some level, also. Yeah, for sure. All right. So moving on to uh, Chelsea, the Foxes stood up, walked right up to Chelsea, and punched them in the fucking face. Well, Chelsea had over 60% possession, but were outshot six to five. Yeah. Well, I never scored. once felt like Chelsea was threatening Leicester never. at all. 
Never. Schmeichel made one or two saves, uh, maybe three or four saves, but they were fairly routine. Wasn't anything serious. Um, and Lester, uh, Lester I mean, on the board in five minutes, unless within than the first minutes. five minutes, and they already had had a pretty good chance before that ball went in the net. I mean, it was like they just it was it was Jamie Vardy. It was crack a Red Bull down it, do a line off of stripper's ass, walk a headbutt a fucker. That's exactly what it was. It was yes, yeah. it was just vicious. Well, the strike was vicious, but the person that didn't believe it was going to go in the most. Was Wilfred and Didi. <laughs> I know. Just, if you look at the body language when he goes to strike it, he's like, this ain't going in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the position Think. I find myself in. I'm supposed to do this. There's not a chance this is happening. Yeah, fine. And he just I'll, happened to, yeah. I'll have a go. Oh, wait, that went in? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It came in from either a, a corner or a, uh, or a cross. It was and a corner I, and the ball bounced out to him on a rebound. It was at Harvey Barnes, I think, that, yeah. that kind of whiffed it. Yeah. Um, and it just deflected off the outside of his boot, Karun behind him. And um, and Wilfred Ndidi had a hit with his left foot. And credit to Johnny Evans for his reaction time. He got the hell out of the way. He ducked faster than than anybody I've ever seen. Than, than Shaggy in that song when he was trying to get into a closet. You know, <laughs> you could, you caught me red-handed. And, um, and he tried to uh, – he got out of the way very well. And of course, it, it clipped the inside of the post, which is always lovely when a, a, a ball kisses just off the inside of the post. It's always fantastic. Yeah, excellent. And the uh, in the great words of Nuke Lelouch from Bull Durham, that was incredible. What did I do? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, like, pretty much. Like you said, the whole way, Chelsea never threatened. It, it was. This was the Leicester show. It was all Foxes the entire match. I mean, yeah, there were a few chances, but it, it just never felt like Chelsea really had a chance. There was a called offsides that uh, that hurt him, and then there was the uh, the called uh, uh, foul that ended up being just outside the box for Pulisic. So if that is you know mm-hmm. an inch closer and is in the box, then it's a penalty. And maybe well, that's also change. well done by VAR for once. We don't say it enough. But to be fair, we have to give them credit where credit's due. That foul absolutely happened outside of the box. <laughs> I, I was, and that was to, very well done. I was trying to figure out though for VAR with the offsides goal. Um, there was a Leicester player whose arm was fully extended, and both players were behind his fully extended arm, but they were in front of the rest of his body. So that's why it was called offsides. But I'm like. Hold on, but when Leeds does it and they're on the attack and they're pointing forward, that hand is off sides. Remember, Patrick Banford had happened where all he did was point for where he wanted the ball, and that hand got called off sides. Okay, so if an offensive hand is off sides, but it shouldn't have been. That's the how, thing. They fucked right. it in that instance. But yeah. how is a defensive hand making them off and not keeping them on? That just didn't seem to make much sense. Well, to it, it was. It, it's not they in in the Leeds match they fucked it because okay, fair enough he shouldn't have been he shouldn't have been called offsides. Um, the only it, it has to be a part of your body that you can score with. So if his arm was extended and his shoulder was past the last defender, well you can hit the ball with your shoulder. So off, but if it wasn't, then he should have been on because your hand cannot put you offside. Well, I want to ask you one more question before 
before we dissect the offsides rule in the next fucking game. Um, the uh, <laughs> Melissa agrees to that one. The yeah. does, does Frank know what to do with this team? No, um, I don't think. Also, Ant- uh, Antoine Rudiger knows what to do. Um, you're supposed to play the ball, basically. Uh, as a defender, that's the idea. Is you you want to win the ball before the attacker can win the ball. But Antoine Rudiger was too busy trying to send Jamie Vardy a message, which I don't know why you would want to send a serial killer psychopath a message, but he tried to, and the ball squirted out to James Madison, who calmly finished first time into the far side with no worries whatsoever, yeah. and even peeled away and celebrated while Vardy was feigning injury. Huh. Yeah. Well, the um, I do know. I do know, I mean, not making excuses for Rudiger, but uh, I do know like Richard and Dominic Calvert-Lewin had both said when they were interviewed, who's the toughest center back in, uh, in the English Premier League. Both of them said Rudiger. They said Rudiger, he lets you know you're there. Like now you're yeah, because he can't defend. <clears throat> True. <laughs> I was going to say, you're finally getting a run in the team now. This is not the way you keep yourself in the fucking team. No, it was pitiful. It was absolutely pitiful. And Frank Lampard, I don't think he knows his best 11. There's no cohesiveness in that squad because he continually, he continually rotates that team and changes one or two pieces or three or four pieces per game, especially through the midfield and in that front three. And that going forward is their biggest issue because they're, I mean, honestly, Edward Mendy has done very well defensively. Two nil is not a huge defeat, right? No. It's and they controlled the ball. They just couldn't create anything. So if you have players, it's a lot of this. I I think some of this also boils down to players aren't able to spend time together off the pitch. There's right. no relationship there. There's no telepathy there that you develop by staying in a hotel with your roommate and traveling with these people and doing this, that, the other, um, you know, going out to dinner with your wives and all this kind of stuff. There's this relationship off the pitch that makes you play football better together. And right now, because England's in full lockdown, they can't do that type of shit. I, I am yet another performance that allows me to continue the same philosophy. Havertz is not a good signing. He's not ready. I don't think so league. either. Do you he's know? Um, not this league, and he's not the right fit for that team. No, Spursy, uh, Spursy Mark uh, reached out to me and said he thought he uh, he thought Frank Lampard was going to get fired before the weekend. I and I think I think he's under a tremendous amount of pressure now. I said it before. I think it'd be suicide for Abramovich if he fired him. But I think the fans may turn on Frank if this sort of form continues because the league's there to be won. Teams are dropping points left and right, and we'll get to that at the end of this show uh, with with what happened today and. He's just not performing, yet he spent 75, 80 million, 100 million, 250 million, whatever it was this summer. Uh, but this, this September, right. <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> but, it, and it's, it's not putting it together. He's not, he doesn't know his best 11. They don't have a consistent enough forward. It's, I don't know. And he won't give anybody a run on the team to try to discover any sort of form. No, no, he won't. I, I, I also wonder if, like, with Havertz, like, why haven't you just thrown him up top yet? Just right up top, see what he can do up top. Because clearly outside is not working. Like, stop doing it. Maybe put him up top and see what he can do, especially considering Giroud's hurt and Tammy's been off and on. 
Well, I mean, part of the problem is, I think, is you have that big, meaty French Bordeaux steak forehead up front, and then you also have the big, meaty mince pie forehead of uh, of Tammy Abraham, who's they're both only literally only suited to being center forwards. Oh, yeah. Neither of them can play any other position. Period. Well, what I'm saying is, is you if if Jeruz is hurt, you you put. Uh, Abraham on the bench, use him as a sub, and then you go with um, Zayak and Pulisic on the outsides with Mount behind the uh, lone striker in, you know, uh, Havertz, or you can go you know, uh, Zayak slash um, Werner, or you could do Pulisic Werner. But there's a lot of different options. Or what, why not? Why not go two up front and go one of the big guys, right? And Abraham or Giroud, and then have Havertz play off of him, like Michael. O- I know Michael Owen's very short, but Havertz is pretty quick for a big guy, yeah, and he's he not very good in the air for a big guy. So right. why not have him play through the middle, but off of a point striker like Michael Owen used to do with Emil Heskey? Yep. So uh, last question, and then we'll move on to the next game. You brought it up. You said, look, the league is there to be won. I shouldn't Lester think they deserve just as much of a point in this conversation now. I think they do. I think they deserve to be in the conversation. Absolutely. They deserve to be in the conversation two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, They have been one of the most consistent teams in the league. I had a little bit of a rough patch when Vardy was out, um, but he's back. And no, he hasn't been scoring a boatload of goals, but he has a couple of assists. And he's drawing so much attention of the defense that other people are getting goals. Look how much James Madison has stepped up. Yuri Tillemans, today Wilfred and Didi. Mm-hmm. Harvey Barnes has scored a few goals. I mean, it, no team should be so reliant on one player to be able to perform that they can't do it if that player's gone, right? Yeah, now that James Madison is healthy, he has been a fucking machine. Absolutely. This last but, month, he has been an absolute like everybody likes to talk about Jack Grealish, and it's fair. He's a very talented player, but there's like you were to take two players and say who is the doppelganger of Grealish in this league, it is absolutely James Madison. Like, yeah, for sure. And and he doesn't and he doesn't get hacked as much, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it, it, those calves are a very big target. <laughs> Yes, they are. To be honest. Speaking of those caps, let's go ahead and get into the uh, Villa, Villa City match. Um, City, another impressive win. Um, and and now they get themselves they get themselves up to the top of the table for at least a day. They still have a game in hand and they're they're doing everything right. All although all that being said, Villa kind of hard done. I was gonna say it was it was absolutely pissing it down with rain first. Oh yeah. Which always benefits Manchester City. That slick passing they do, that ball just glides over the pitch um, and makes it very difficult for the opposition, in this case Villa, to deal with their pace, their finesse, and their technical ability. But Villa were steadfast. Um, City dominated the match in terms of possession uh, and and overall shots and stuff. But But Villa Villa had chances. Villa held their own. Absolutely, they did. Um, and I think of a spell probably from about 63 minutes till about 72, 73 minutes, uh, where Villa had three or four really good chances and forced Ederson into two fantastic saves. Um, and it's unfortunate that neither of those went in because just after that, you have a very weird quirk 
of the offside rule come into play? Uh, yes. Before we get to that, I do want to mention, just because I love mentioning great saves, Martinez's save with his lone foot off the fucking goal line mm-hmm. on the corner mm-hmm. kick in the mm-hmm. first five minutes. That is a thing of beauty. Yeah. Jeez. And you, th- you think, ab- think about it. This is the team that, well, I mean, obviously he's hurt, but they went out and got, you know, they got Heaton. They got Heaton, right? They got arguably one of the best keepers in England. And and he's hurt. He's out for the entire year. They're, they're just trying to figure out what they can do. You have a goalie that just happens to get hot at the right time. And the boy hasn't slowed down. He no. has been, I, I'd argue, the best keeper in the league th- this year. I was saying that I, I wasn't sure, especially when we were going through that stretch of, of shit results, that I wasn't sure that we sold the right goalkeeper. Yeah. He's, you know, he I, the way Emmy finished the season, I thought he was, he definitely could challenge for number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's also not discontinue Matty Cash's excellent defense and that one where he got the ball off the goal line up and over. Yep. Yep. It was, and, but then right at the death of the game, he thought he was playing volleyball. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should have had his arms down for that one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, other than that, that gorgeous man played very well. Yeah. Well, he absolutely did. Uh, Dem- Demise, though, is now on Mel's back. So yeah, Mel's got I have her, a uh, I have a got her Christmas jersey. present. There you go. Got That's a Maddie awesome. Cash jersey. It was no doubt when I was buying her a jersey. I was like, I'm not buying her Grealish. I'm getting her demise though. That's yeah, what I'm getting. Demise though. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, the offsides rule, that was kind of bullshit. No? Yep. Sammy, go ahead and talk about it a little. All right. So it's, there's a bit of a gray area. Mm. When Tyrone Mings takes possession of the ball, it doesn't matter where the opposition is. Their fair play because they aren't being played the ball by their players. The question comes in and the controversy comes in is when do you consider him in control of the ball? Because all he did was chest it down and he barely even took a touch of it before he was closed down. Uh So it's almost like, think of it like a wide receiver that catches a ball and starts to turn the corner and he gets tackled. Is it a fumble or is it an incomplete pass? The question is, is did he make a football move? Right. Technically, yes, because he took that little touch with his foot. He already made a football move. He made a motion going forward that made him, quote unquote, in control of the ball. So to the letter of the law, yes, this was a fair play. But I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. Um, I'm right there with you. It's it's. It's law of the game, absolutely right. Spirit of the game, kind of right. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. He was 10 yards off sides. Well, and that's probably yeah. why 10 Ming, fucking yards off Ming sides. didn't even consider him a threat because the guy was so far off sides. He was yeah, like, he turns, he looks, he sees he's off sides. He goes to chest it. Suddenly the guy runs through him. It's like, ah. So yeah, now, what's going to happen? Legal, Are people going to leave man, players that's... back? Are people going to start leaving players back for this? That's, that's they a should. fair question. If, if that's the case, yeah. It, it's, it would be completely anti-spirit of the game. I mean, but do you remember, Sam, uh, maybe about 10 years ago now or so, it was really in fashion to put two players because 
that's when the you have to be involved in the play to be offsides rule was kind of right clarified. So free kicks from 25 yards to about 22 yards uh, into goal would they would put two players on the post of the attacking team, even though everyone was holding the line at the 18 yard line or, or, or 10 yards in whatever the, you know, the distance was. And as the person ran up to strike it, those two players would just run back towards onside. Yeah. But they weren't involved in the play except for they were making the goalkeeper like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Mm -hmm. Precisely. And it was legal. Is it in the spirit of the game? Absolutely not. That's some it's Ted stupid. Lasso shit right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it's absolutely stupid because you're taking two of your own players out of the opportunity to fucking do something. So I, there's really not much else to talk about the rest of the game because it, it not how it finished out. Villa played a very valiant game. Mm -hmm. They probably deserved a point in that match. A little hard done, but you know what? City got the win. It was a win City needed. That was it. Was it? it that's it. What's more fun to talk about? is Mel's manager. Dean after Smith. The game, after oh, yeah. the old Dino uh, let it on to what it was he said. So apparently when the goal got scored and there was no offsides called, he looked at the fourth official and he goes, uh, you get uh, juggling balls for Christmas, mate. And <laughs> apparently he signaled the center ref. The center ref didn't much game over and gave him a yellow card. And he went, that's great. Let's be more consistent with those. Turned around, gave him a red card. Uh, yeah. In his poster. Give him a second yellow. In, in his post, in his post match, he goes, Yeah, it's really brave of you to go ahead and give me a red card because I'm sure I know you do it to other managers in this league. So are you proud of yourself? Like, really good job. Great work. Like, and, and, and clearly, the, he was, clearly what he was saying was Pep was over there running his mouth and you seem to have no fucking problem with that. But I ran my mouth and suddenly I'm the fucking bad guy. I think juggling so, balls for Christmas needs to be show title. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I've never heard that as an insult and I'm using it all the time now. Oh, she's um, out to me like three times already in the past two days. <laughs> oh, you got juggling balls for Christmas, mate. I'm like... <laughs> Thanks, son. You, you know what that is, right? You're calling you a clown. Yeah. 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 She so my the the what I have a tough time with with this piece of it. Now, as and I will premise this because I know what you're going to say in response. As a third about to be 35-year-old man who's now and uh would be considered an elder statesman of the game. Right. From a from would a be. playing perspective. Absolutely. You have to know when to keep your mouth shut, mate, because now with the red, he's suspended for the next game, right, from the touchline. And then with his subsequent it's comments. It's Newcastle. It doesn't fucking mean anything. Well, that's true. But the post-match press conference, slagging off the officials again, it's potential for two or three. And I can guarantee you that nobody on that backroom staff can coach as well as Dean Smith. And just like you wouldn't want Douglas Louise to elbow somebody in the face right after kicking them against Wolves, you remember a couple months ago, you don't want your manager doing that at the same time. True, true. But in that same regard. So that part makes does, me a little nervous for them. But does, does Pep get a red card for saying the exact same thing? 
No, of course not, because it's Pep Guardiola. That does it, does it's like Michael Jurgen Jordan. Klopp, does Jurgen Klopp get a red card for doing the exact same thing? No, Jurgen because you get Jurgen, a red card for screaming out of wrath. Listen, Pep is Michael Jordan. He gets the calls. He gets the the leniency. Jurgen Klopp is Scottie Pippen, and because of his association with Michael Jordan, he doesn't. He gets the calls and he gets the leniency. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I tr- trust me. I, I I'm not. You're not wrong, and I'm with you on that one. But, but I think it's fair for for Dino to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to put it out there, put it out there in the universe, and just go, "What the hell?" It, just like it was for Carlo when when um, the uh, Clattenburg just goes off. You go, mate. Like yeah. he came out. No, and went, was, went, thought, really? Was really? that Clattenburg? I think it was. Was that Clattenburg or was that or was that um, Mike Dean? It wasn't Dino. It was Clattenburg. All right. It wasn't. It wasn't Dino. I trust me. We know if it was pop. Dino because because Dino would <laughs> let everybody know that it was Dino. So, you know, yeah. he he'd be tweeting about it right now. But off your pop. Off your pop. Yeah. But but the fact that he like in for for Ancelotti came out and went seriously. That's how referees talk to managers. Like that's that's not okay. Right. Yeah. And and you notice uh, now. Granted, it is Ancelotti. He didn't get anything extra for it because he said. Hey, guys, come on now. Like, we're trying to be respectful to your refs, but keep them in fucking line too, which which is a which is a very fair argument to do at times. No, ab- absolutely, absolutely. But it, it it's it, in terms of dealing with the press and this, that, the other, it's the way in which you deliver the thing. So yeah. if you come up slinging insults, I think he could have did his job better today. Right? right? Like, well, he didn't do his job. You know what I mean? Like that. It's different than saying uh, a couple decisions. I think were you know, blah blah blah. Uh, so we're I don't know. we're delaying the inevitable, which is us looking at Mel over this wonderful Zoom call. I already did it. No fucking. Did <laughs> <laughs> Y'all already saw Adam me do it. That was like five minutes ago. What are you up to now, Mel? Mel, Hello. turn around. What'd you turn get around Chudley balls for and Christmas? Look- Look up. Look behind you turn, now. Turn around and look up. <laughs> I'm the D-back bear. Stop lying. <laughs> Be better. Be better, Miss Thing, okay? Oh, fuck it. <laughs> Villa fucks. Mel does Malort shots. I uh, love the face. Oh, my headphones fell off. The face is oh, everything. God. Oh, God. Headphones went fl- crashing down to the floor. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. All right. So exactly what we didn't need was for to take the lead and then less than a day later for Manchester United to retake the lead. That is just not what we wanted because Manchester well, United fans are already unbearable enough. That's very true. Absolutely. But what I do like is that there is a lead change at the top of the Premier League after the 1st of January every other day. Oh, by the way, Sam, real quick. And that real hasn't quick. happened for a long time. This is very important, Sam. Quick PSA again to all you Manchester United supporters. Calm the fuck down. Okay, please continue. If you're pinning your hopes on Luke Shaw and Eric Lindelof, I think you need to be worried first. <laughs> but anyway, the the it what what is nice about this, um, not Manchester United being up top, but just in general, is that there's a league leader every round of games somebody new takes over for these last oh, yeah, couple of weeks it's been and fantastic. that has been 
Yeah, we haven't seen this this side of January for a number of years. And, um, you know, unless it came down to one weekend, you know, the city Liverpool last couple of years, excuse me. Um, but we now are seeing a very competitive league for the first time in a while where I think really first through seventh has a chance. City's yeah. one injury away from imploding. They have nobody to – they have no strikers. They're, they just have goal-scoring midfielders, and they're lucky they do. You know what I mean? Um, Manchester United is one injury away from imploding or Paul Pogba getting a bad haircut and having a bad attitude for three weeks. Uh, and that is so there's so many different things that Lester, can happen. The Leicester's game, right there. Liverpool can figure out the fact that they can't seem to score at all. Uh, Tottenham, it's Mourinho. Mourinho uh, it, loves ugly holding fucking seasons the back. like this. Yeah, absolutely. He loves these ugly-ass seasons. And honestly, even Everton, God forbid you go on a run, you know? I mean, well, I don't... the thing. I, like, I was just about right to say, there. With, with Liverpool, who, who will be, um, I think, are six points behind Manchester United right now. Yep. If I told you Manchester United lost two games in a row, would you be surprised by that? No, not at all. Would you be surprised if Liverpool won two games in a row? No, not at all. So it, it really is up there. It's not like it's going to take, you know, the stars aligning and all the planets to do things. And, hey, it's the year of the rat, so Jurgen Klopp's left fang is going to fall out. But it doesn't take all that shit. doesn't matter. We don't need sex rabbits on the pitch and all this kind of stuff. It, it's going to fucking come down to who can be the most consistent, period. Who can figure out how to be consistent, score the goals, and defend properly with nobody at your back Nobody cheering you on, nobody yelling at you, and who can stay the healthiest? Villa fucking is going to be a problem. Oh, coming into the season, if if anybody anybody could have a COVID outbreak at any moment, and their whole season shot because they lose three weeks in a row, right? You know what I mean? It's good. Or they only lose, or they only lose a couple of key players, and they're forced to fucking play. Yeah, it's a very interesting league, and it's 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 shaping up to be one of the most exciting finishes we've seen for a very long time. I was about to say for as shit as last season was, because last season was done and dusted crap by February. We were all pretty convinced at that point, Liverpool Liverpool was was going to win it. Absolutely. We knew it was going to come. It was only a matter of when, and the rest of the league really wasn't very good. If anything, the bottom of the table was more exciting to watch than the top of the table. This season, the exact opposite the top of the table is any ones. Tenth place, t- tenth to first can finish in any combination. Like, do I, do, do I see West Ham, Villa, or Southampton winning the league? No. But could one of them magically somehow sneak their way into fourth place? Absolutely. Fuck yeah, they could. <laughs> like, 100%. If that's Tot- how if incredible it is. Yeah, if Tottenham win their game in hand, Liverpool's in fifth. Yeah. Liverpool's so, out of the top four. If Tottenham win their game in hand, Liverpool's out of the top four. Yeah, precisely. And our, we're only six points behind Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you know what I mean? It, it, it's all up to play for. It, it's all up. Who can fucking figure it out? Who can score the goals, right? And so we should actually talk about the game. Uh, yeah. Adam Ola-Lookman, great mm-hmm. finish. De Gea should have done better. I don't know why he came to the edge of his six and then stopped. He should have charged him, made him make a decision, Instead of having the time to figure out, he did his little stutter step bullshit. Lookman, if you charge him, 
We've seen him be inconsistent in front of goal. I think that De Gea could have done better in that situation. That little stutter step on the corner of six allowed Lookman the time to look up, pick his spot, and bang, one nil down within five minutes again. Yeah, and and Fulham came to play, man. They, I mean, they ultimately lost the match two to one. They played them. They played them hard as hell the entire time, and they had opportunities. It wasn't it wasn't done and dusted once. No, uh, most once of the United got the second goal. Yeah, most of the stats were were even in this game. It was Fulham came to play. Um, now, Ariola and De Gea both were forced into good saves um, kind of throughout the match. There wasn't many of them, but it was, you know, one or two here or there, you know, throughout throughout the game. Um, United, uh, the uh, uh, first United goal was the only mistake that a goalkeeper made the entire time, I think, really. Yeah. Um, De Gea, you know, did come out. He did make himself big. Lookman had a good shot. I don't know that you could really call it a mistake. Maybe I'm being done, harsh. He could have done better just because, well, we, yeah. we're critical of De Gea off the line because De Gea sucks off the fucking line. Right. So maybe I could, I'm being a little harsh, but Ariola spills that cross. Uh, right back into the middle, and Cavani's just Johnny on the spot and right. bang into the back of the net to equalize. But then two minutes that's later, the Ariola. Only, that's the only right. Two minutes later, Ariola makes a worldie. Like correct, exactly, and, and and that's where I say maybe I'm I'm being a little bit harsh on the goalkeepers, but at, you know when that kind of cross comes in, you really want to parry it back to the side, at least limit the angle. Um, parrying it back out in the middle is always dangerous, and that's what happens. And that's how United got their equalizer. Now he can't be criticized for the wonderful fucking strike uh, with Paul Pogba's weaker foot, as we like uh, to call on- that a transfer maker. Oh, yeah, big time. He just upped his transfer value 25 million. Edward, nobody in that ground was happier than Ed Woodward. <laughs> sell him now. Uh, yeah. See, so sell him in the summer for, for you know, seven, uh, 75 million instead of 48 million so because quick, of this strike. So, quick thought on Pogba there. It's what do you do with him? Do you just go ahead and keep him on your roster now? for the remainder of the year just to try to see what he can do to help you towards winning a title and then get rid of him in the summer? Or do you get rid of him now while he's playing his dick off? Well, I think it's going to come down to the COVID situation. Um, I think he's going to remain. I believe he has two years left on his deal. I might be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it is more possible to sell him next summer than it is to sell him this summer. Because uh, with his recent performances and the big smile he has on his face in every post-match interview, I think United are going to want too much money, and I'm not sure anybody will be able to afford him this summer. Well, you have to figure they want $100 million because that's what they spent. But who has it? Madrid, that's it. Uh, right. They, they don't even have it. Right. There's the thing. So they got to figure out what they're going to do with Hazard that they spent a hundred million on because he's they're going, utter shit. Yeah, they're going to have to move players on, but it's Real Madrid. They're obviously quality, right? So who are they going to sell it to? Do those people have money to raise the funds to buy Paul Pogba? How's that going to go? So it, it's one of those situations where um, either United is going to have to take a, a lower fee, which Ed Woodward is not keen to do, which is why Paul Pogba was still a Manchester United player at, at this moment. He's not willing to take less than 75, 80 million, 90 million for him. Um, so, but in, in these COVID times without that, you know, for Real Madrid, they have a hundred thousand seats. 
without their six million, you know, euro match day revenue, they're hurting. They're playing games still at their fucking training ground. Yeah. So they also lost to a third division side, by the way, in the Copa oh, del Rey. Just, oh, that, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And given the events of uh, Wednesday, I do want to mention that two empires fell this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, well, here's what I here's what I wonder, and then I want to kind of move on. There's one thing, one more thing I want to mention about Fulham. Oh, please, the Manchester United fans that listen to it just got a boner. We got to keep yeah. going, right? So, w- with Pogba, you're in a scenario right now where, okay, great, you keep him, but for what cause? So, if you win the title this year, it's worth it. But if you don't win the title, I hope all Manchester United fans understand what a fucking monster the man's going to become next year because it'll be Jekyll and Hyde. There's completely agree with that. It's going to happen. So, so the idea is, okay, if we're going to keep them, we're keeping them because we have to fucking win this because if we don't fucking win this, he's that doesn't matter how well he's playing. He's no longer worth a hundred million, which he, you know, the way he's playing right now, he's worth it. Just nobody has the money to spend it. Now, here's what I wanted to get to with Fulham. Fulham's next three games, they have an FA Cup match this week against Burnley, which means nothing for the table. But it is someone directly on them. So this is important for them as far as, pardon me, the way they play stylistically. But their next two games after that, Brighton and West Brom. If, if Fulham are going to stay in the Prem, we will know it by the end of January because two games mean everything. Yeah, these these next these next three weeks are, are huge, just as a psychological boost because Burnley is in and around them also. So beating them this weekend and progressing in the cup will give them the confidence to move forward against West Brom and Brighton. I think, and you break if down they go a very defensive minded team as well, which lets you right. know your system, Parker's system, is working. Works, yeah, it absolutely works. Because they've played, I think they played very well the last two games, and they've been terribly unfortunate to not win those games. Uh, you had the the red from Anthony Robinson against Chelsea at the weekend, and then um, you have the unfortunate result here against uh, against Manchester United. Um, but if they can turn, if they can keep that style right and beat Burnley, and then turn around and beat um, West Brom, and then turn around and draw or beat Brighton, and they take four to six points from the two Prem games and advance in the cup. I think that galvanizes the team, gives them even more confidence and they're ready to go. Absolutely. I agree. So, I mean, that's going to be something I'm definitely watching over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so finally, Liverpool's bogey team finally hands them their first loss and uh, their streak of winning at Anfield comes to an end. Only team know, that left. Sorry, would, go ahead. Who would know that Liverpool's bogey team would be fucking Burnley. Well, they were the only team last season to even leave Anfield with a point. Yep. If I recall correctly. They were. Uh, this was the f- last three times at Anfield. Draw, draw, victory for Burnley. This was the first loss at Anfield for 68 home league games. A run spanning three years and 273 days. Conversely, Burnley hadn't won there since 1975. 
Jesus. This was a wild-ass game. Burnley. It really was. Absolutely burnley Liverpool. They sat back and soaked pressure up beyond belief and played long balls to two big-ass strikers that can hold the ball up and relieve pressure and give the necessary breaks required to play that way for 90 fucking minutes. And uh, Allison had to make a couple of key saves. He had to make one early. He had to make uh, one even penalty and then one even after the penalty. There was, they tested Allison. They really did test Allison. They did a few times. He also tested himself. <laughs> well, that first that first one, he tested himself. <laughs> that was a, a strange decision to say the least, but not the strangest decision of the day. Um, where was Mo Salah and Roberto Firmino? Uh, squad rotation because of, let's say, squad freshness. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I don't understand is... I, I, I kind of get the idea, I guess, now that I really think about it, of let's put these other guys in. We're better than them. They'll tire them out. We'll bring in Mane and Firmino. Everything will be fine. Right. And it wasn't. And that's what you get for fucking gambling because you need – I mean, Jurgen Klopp's team selection was like me trying to make a bet on Monday nights. It's not good. <laughs> well said. It's you just know, not good. What I think what I think he overlooked was is that um while Burnley is at the bottom of the table, Ben Mee and James Tchaikovsky are not bottom of the table center backs. And you can't just think Origi is gonna come in and boss those two guys, because most people in the Prem can't boss those two guys. Right. And and he waited I, I actually looking at this, I'm surprised it was so early and I watched the game, but I was also about on my eighth mile when he made these substitutions. So Heard. I was seeing double, well, uh, you know, Peloton will do that to you. No, it won't because I don't have one. So I wouldn't know that it might actually, I wouldn't Keep know lying. that. Keep lying. Uh, he subbed out on 57 minutes, both Origi and Oxley Chamberlain for Firmino and Salah. I'm surprised it was that early to be honest with you. Um, that is just a, a ridiculous team selection to me. You you need to put your best players on the pitch. This isn't a, a fuck about. Yeah, you won it last year, but have you given up now? Is that is that what he's saying there with that team selection? Um, I also thought the coming together at halftime was a bit odd. Um, Klopp, you may be a very, very angry German, but you don't want to fuck with an Englishman that likes to eat dirt. Like, just... Don't. Earthworms. Just don't. <laughs> Eats worms. No. I, I appreciate Dyche after the game. He's just like, you know, Klopp's remarks after the game was, he's not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. It's it's football. This is what happens. And he walked away. But Dyche was like, well, you know, I mean, what? We're not supposed to care. But I'm, I'm as a manager, I'm not supposed to care. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot that. Uh, guess what? I care. That's what happened. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, except it sounded more like, I'm not supposed to care, but I can't care, though, so... I, I, I He's like, all right, DMX, calm down, bust the rhymes, just do, you know, chill out. <laughs> I mean, as, as far as head coaches go, right, head, like, head managers, obviously Dunk is the meanest son of a bitch in the world, but as far as 
managers, top managers go, it's Daesh, right? Like, that's well, not the man you want to fuck with. He's a little fucking bulldog. He'll bite your fucking nuts off and not care. He'll bite them off, look up with a bloody mouth, and smile and go, ha, ha, ha. I'm just glad that Sean Daesh didn't actually end up in a scrap with Nigel Pearson while he was in charge of uh, Watford last season. <laughs> Because that literally would have been the immovable force meets, I'm sorry, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object and the entire world would have been swallowed in upon itself with the black hole that they created. Although in defense, that would have been quite 2020. (laughs) Fair enough. Maybe it should have happened and spared us all this bullshit. So uh, I just want to finish on this one thought here, Sam, is um, have you scored a goal in January? Your team, Arsenal? Yes, we have. Actually, uh, the player you traded me, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, a couple of weeks ago in fantasy, scored two just the other day. I just needed you to answer that you've actually scored goals because you know what? Everton, we, we've we've scored goals. You know who hasn't scored any goals in January? I mean, Liverpool. Fucking Liverpool. And I couldn't be happier. Yeah. It's time to tell you what little we know it is prediction time. It's actually a very short prediction time. Um, I'm wrong. I blame Sam because Sam picked uh, uh, Lester to win with Vardy to score. I picked Vardy to score. So, of course, Lester wins and Vardy to score because they just want to fuck me that much. Couldn't they have just had like Lester lose and Vardy score so it would have fucked over Sam? Would have made me happier. Um, That's not how my betting works, my friend. Uh, you want to talk about how betting works. Pat risks more money to win less money and loses more money because he bet Liverpool to win today by more than two goals. (laughs) And, of course, the chicken hit. Of course you did. I think Pat Pat was blinded by the veneers. He hit his first bet. He hit his... That's all he needed was just he needed Liverpool to win by three. And nope, Liverpool loses. <laughs> yep. So what I want to do right now is, uh, you know, we're we're going a little long tonight, but we're also not doing an injury time. So I kind of wanted to uh, bring everybody in on one of the bits we do on injury time. And Sam, if you find injury time, how would you do that? You would just go onto your internet browser of choice and uh, type in www.patreon.com backslash du football show. That's Patreon. P A T R E I P A R. Fuck. P A T R E O N. Hey, Graham. Dot com backslash du football show. Stick to the script. <laughs> Stick to what you do well. I had that script in my head for the last 25 minutes. You're a good whore. Don't start tickling the balls in the middle of it. It'll confuse you. <laughs> Just stick to what you know. Stick to what you know, okay? Um, if you sign up to one of the top two tiers, you will have access to injury time. There's a $5 tier and a $9 tier. Why, Mel? Because $10 is too much. Goddamn right it is. Sorry, so, Ross. <laughs> with, uh, with that $9 tier, though, you do get a couple of other extra uh fun things uh, that come along with that subscription. So um, just check us out. You get an uh, access to sound check and injury time, which is our preview of the upcoming week. And what we also do is we also talk about the beers we've been drinking all night. Yes. And uh, for me, I'm 
open book. It's normally a ice house, although today I do have something different, but it is, again, cheap, shitty Pilsner. But uh, Sam Graham and my beautiful bride both happen to have an infinity for craft beers. So they talk about the beers that they've been drinking. And uh, Mel, why don't you tell us about your first beer? Well, I uh, was in the mood for some Irish red ales. So I've got two uh, Irish ales tonight. The first one I'm going to talk about is not that one. I'm going to put it back there. Yeah, that's the second one you yeah, drank. Is O'Hara's Irish Red Craft Brewed in Ireland. O'Hara's Distillery is uh, was formed in 1996, and it's a traditional red ale. Clocks in at 4.3. Has got a lot of smooth malt body, a nice uh, toasted backbone, and a slight hot bitterness. It's not overwhelming. Pretty true to its style, and it's excellent. You know, Mel is O'Hara's a, is a classic. Yeah. Mel, Mel is a sucker for an Irish red. Ah, oh, it's uh, my favorite. Being, being that she's a uh, a Gen Xer at heart, we remember when uh, Killian's Irish red used to be very, very good mm-hmm. before it was bought by the Coors Company and then became really, really shitty. Yeah. I used to love and that beer. Back when it was legit, that was, that was my go-to. I used go-to. to love that beer. That was my yeah. favorite. Absolutely. And, and then and when I worked at Dewclaw, what, their Misfit mm-hmm. Red, that was my go-to beer. Multi, multi happiness that's not as heavy as those Marzins are, which are really kind yeah. of bready. Uh, these Irish reds always drink kind of very soft and happy, just even though they're very malty and sweet up front. Yeah, this one only has uh, 34 IBUs. Nice. Very good. Yeah. Well, well, Sammy, what's your first beer? Uh, so the only beer I had tonight was the Kushwa PC Load Letter. Uh, it's a New England style double IPA, uh, clocks in at eight percent by volume, and it is exactly what it says on the can. It's very good, a lot of citrus up front, very juicy, and then it finishes with a nice hot backbone. Um, did it knock my socks off? No, but it's a very good beer. Lovely. Well, um, tell a little bit of a difference between. A uh, New England IPA, a um, a hazy IPA, and then a session IPA. So the session IPA is kind of whatever you have laying around, right? Session IPAs are a lot of times flavored, fruited, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, spiced, whatever you have that is laying around the brewery. You have extra ingredients for something else, so you throw them all in the same pot. Um, a New England IPA is kind of a medium juice, uh, usually a citrus juice, a lot of times an orange juice. A hazy IPA could use any one of the juicy fruits. So pineapple, mango, any of those sorts of things uh, to kind of not necessarily flavor their beer, but you get that flavor profile throughout the uh, the experience. And, and Mel um, has never really been a big hop person where you have always been really enjoying the hop beers. Yeah, definitely. But, but Mel has uh, really gotten infinity for the hazy IPAs lately, haven't you, Mel? Yeah, I enjoy the juicies. Uh, I'm not big on bitter beers. I've always been more, not uh, not big on candy beers. I like uh, more of the lagers, or shorts beers, uh, porters, light stouts, coffee ales, brown ales, 
that kind of world. But I have come to really appreciate the flavor profiles of the hazies. And as long as that's not that earwaxy bitterness that you get from a regular IPA or a double hop IPA, then uh, I can drink them down. All right. So that's I, the, uh, <laughs> with the hazies, I'm sorry, Sam, with the hazies, wait, you tend to not have that hoppy yeah. backbone. That juice kind of overtakes the palate and you don't get that. Yeah. Um, Exactly. That, that big time hot backbone with with New England's, you start with that juice, but it kind of recedes and gives way to that hot backbone. So there, that's where I say it's kind of medium juice. It's kind of in that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, you know, you have IPAs and then West Coast IPAs, which are extremely bitter uh, and have no juice whatsoever. Tastes like boot leather and hops. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, so Mel, I'm going to talk about my beer, and then I'll go ahead and let you talk about your last. All right. Uh, typically, I, I well, I'm not typically. All the time, I am trash. I drink Ice House. I love cold, cheap Pilsners that aren't light. I don't drink Miller Light. I don't drink Bud Light. I don't drink Coors Light. I drink Coors Tan Can. I drink Ice House. I drink Bow. I drink PBR. And tonight, while I almost bought a 42-ounce plastic bottle of Ice House, and I forgot to tell you guys about this one. I was a millimeter away from buying a little 100 ml of Four Locos pregame, <laughs> and oh, then I, I and I looked and I looked at both those things together and went, "I'm in a that I have to work tomorrow. I'm not going to drink those. No. Instead, I'm going to buy Hams, which is from Chicago. Um, we've uh, before we've reviewed Old Style as well." It's uh, just a very standard Chicago Pilsner beer. It comes in at 5.5. Pretty, pretty easy drinking. Ice cold goes down great. Um, it's, it's cheap American beer, and it's what I fucking love. And I love a cooler with a wonderful ice bath, Sam Graham, because an ice bath is important. Very important. You're ridiculous about your ice bath. Whatever, communist. Yeah, seriously. So my I second- just want to let you all know I have an ice bucket that I've been putting <laughs> beers in. Of course you do. Fuck you. And here I just leave them out of my windowsill. All right, Mel, your last beer. That's a natural cooler, Mel. You know, in the wintertime, absolutely. Right here on the cooler, just lift it up, grab a beer. It's perfect. (laughs) Uh, So my second beer, I went super old school for Ireland's most popular ale, Smithwick's Red Ale. And Pronounce Smittix for those at home. Smittix, fine. Um, it is delicious. It's a little bit sweeter than the O'Hare's. Uh, O'Hare's had a little bit more of a backbone, but it's got a nice, easy, drinkable 4.5. I could crush these all day long. This what would a great be, springtime beer. This would be my go-to, like your, your ice house would be my Smittix. For what harp is on the lighter side, because mm-hmm. Smittix is a darker beer, a little heavy, a touch heavier. Um, they're opposite ends of that spectrum. And then they're both owned by Guinness. Yeah. And Diageo. Uh, which is awesome. And both of those harp and Smittix are excellent in black and tans. And the color on the Smittix red ale, it's that perfect berry red. Oh yeah. And so just, you feel like you're drinking, you know, oh, yeah. a good beer. Oh yeah. I love Smittix. Smittix yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, Mine too. Mine too. Uh, so, uh, Sammy, fantasy we really don't need to go into because... Well, there's still- there's a couple, I think. I'm going to play Steve Kornacki here for a okay. second, if you don't mind, um, because I just want to go through... There's only really two contests that are 
up for grabs still. And that is Geckel has 48 points over Rob at 46 at oh, this wow. juncture. Yeah. So that's still very close. Uh, Smokey is in a bit of a tight spot, but I'm not sure that Chris is going to have the legs at 49 to 31. And Ray and Allen was the other one that I was going to bring up big time. Okay. And they are tied after today at 52 apiece. Do either one of them have a uh, a Villa or a Newcastle player is the big question, you know? Uh, Kieran Clark plays for Alan Brody's club, uh, as well as Tyrone Mings. Ooh. Uh, Yep, and so let's then go over to, because I didn't know you were going to ask me that question, to Ray's lineup, and he has Jamal Lewis. Okay, so there we go. Uh, but only Jamal Lewis. So both Jamal players... Jamal Lewis hasn't been playing. Correct. Kieran Clark has been playing. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, and then uh, lastly, there is an 11-point difference between Russ and Kenny at 55 to 44. So that is, uh, at this point, I think too close to call, uh, except for Kenny has nobody playing at the weekend. So that contest is finished. Never mind. I'm sorry. There you go. Yep. There and you go. This is all stuff we'll recap on Monday. So uh, that's going to wrap I'm it up. I'm just saying, just very exciting. Take a look at the league uh, over the weekend. Excellent. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up, boys and girls. Sammy, any parting words? Yeah, I just I thought of something really poignant, I think, um, as me and Mel both continue to enjoy our craft beers week after week after week after week, and you continue to just drink the most utter dog shit that you could possibly <laughs> find. Um, and I think to myself, uh, for that, um, that Stop the Steel rally on the 20th, and that lone man that showed up in New York with the flag <laughs> standing out front all by himself on an island, that's you, my friend, and your shit beer. While me and Mel go celebrate yeah. the rebirth of America. I understand that my palate is far more sophisticated than both of yours combined when it comes to everything else. So, fuck off. I like my shitty beer. America, <laughs> fucking, fuck yeah. we got robbed. <laughs> we got robbed. Q is real. We all drink hams. You definitely is real. I have a meeting with an iguana in about 25 minutes. Fantastic. I got to get, uh, get out of here. All right. Well, that's canoe. <laughs> well, you got to ride that Peloton and pray to your lizard god. Um, that's going to wrap Fuck it you. up, boys and girls. Um, we'll be back uh, next week on Monday to recap the FA Cup. We did an FA Cup show. If you haven't had a chance to check that out, please go to uh, wherever you like to get your podcast and uh, listen to that. And if you want to hear us interviewing Ben K, who is dealing with worse shit now than he dealt with before. You can go back and listen to that as well as Truly prepares themselves on Friday more the FA Cup. Twitter. Yeah. Make sure you check, make sure you check out our Twitter at D Football Show. I'm sorry, I forgot about this. I actually didn't want to do this. Uh, we have the pinned link at the top of our Twitter to make sure you support Chorley Football Club. They play Friday evening tonight through the magic of radio against Wolves in the FA Cup. You have to get your tickets, your virtual tickets, to help support the club. So just go to our Twitter, at DU Football Show. You'll see the link pinned right at the top, and bang, you can support the club. You can buy a ticket. You can buy a ticket and a donation. You can buy a ticket and a bigger donation, which would be the best thing to do. 
at the highest level, it will cost you 30 bucks. That 30 bucks will go a long way to non-league clubs like this. That pays the bills for an entire fucking season. So go buy a virtual ticket. Go help out Chorley FC. 100%. Right after we get done with the Zoom call, I'm going to buy some Dr. Squatch soap. And then I'm going to buy a Chorley match ticket. Excellent. I already bought my Chorley match ticket because I'm nicer and I like them more than you do. So, boys and girls, until next Monday, Monday, we'll talk to you then. Until next Monday. Born in the land of Bowie, Maryland. Bred to be a fan of fucking Everton. Punch you in the eye and drink your rye. Sam Houston. Sam Houston? Arsenal fans have another Sam. Right day, yay, the fucking Gooner Graham. Stop him, my lord. Look straight in shorts. Sam Graham, hey. Sam Graham. Don't you get mad?